listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Ana Maria Martinez, mezzo-soprano Guang Young, and baritone Mark Delavan are backstage at Lyric. So this is a real-life story that actually happened. The way I'm trying to play it is that Tonio is actually Leon Cavallo. And I'm playing it as though I actually saw it. Like this nest of these, these memories happen in one day. And that the composer beats time with his own sobs. You do need a very solid, strong technique, singing technique to do this kind of roles. I mean, there's no way you can cheat a little bit. So, uh, I mean, during the rehearsal, I really uh, practice not just uh, most of the time. It's about to see the emotion, how far it could take, and to getting used to that. What's so great about this repertoire is that you're not thinking about, oh, here comes a high note, or because the story takes you. The wish we have for all of you in the audience is to, once it starts, and then until it finishes, you are completely engaged. So that when it's over, you think, what, what, it's over? That's what we want for you. And we also experience that as well. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines, dramaturg at Lyric Opera of Chicago, We're playing an audio transcript of the panel discussion from the Lyric Opera Discovery Series session on Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci. For those of you who may not be aware of the Discovery Series, it's panel discussions featuring singers, conductors, directors, and opera experts. We do one session per opera, and they usually take place a few days prior to the opening of the production. The Discovery Series is open to the public, and it's a great way to get up close and personal with our artists. You can check out our website at lyricopera.org for dates, tickets, and complete Discovery Series information. We include all of the Discovery Series sessions as part of the Backstage at Lyric podcast. And now, on to the Discovery Series panel featuring Ana Maria Martinez, Guang Yang, and Mark Delavan. I'm your host for this session, and I hope you enjoy it. Good evening, everyone. I'm Roger Pines, dramaturg at Lyric Opera Chicago, and I'm delighted to welcome to the Discovery Series three of the principals from our productions of Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci. Um, I want to express Lyric Opera's gratitude to our three artists who are doing the Discovery Series this evening, just a few hours after their dress rehearsal. We truly appreciate their generosity, and I know we're going to have a wonderful discussion this evening. It's always gratifying for us whenever a Ryan Opera Center alumna, after establishing herself internationally, returns to us in a starring role. And this is the case with Chinese mezzo-soprano Guangyang, who is Santuzza in Cavalry Rusticana, her seventh lyric opera role. She has been Suzuki in Butterfly and has also appeared in Thais, The Ring Cycle, and The Cunning Little Vixen. 
Her first Santuzza, which I was lucky enough to hear, also marked her debut at one of Europe's most important houses, the Deutsche Oper Berlin. Among her other major successes have been Eboli and Don Carlos at Welsh National Opera and Canadian Opera Company, Amneris and Aida in Houston and Miami, and Suzuki in Dallas. She's made important appearances with the CSO, the National Symphony, the Orchestre de Paris, and London Symphony Orchestra. A major highlight of her current season is her return to Europe to sing Amneris at the Bregenz Festival in Austria. We've all looked forward to the lyric debut of the Puerto Rican soprano Ana Maria Martinez, who is portraying Nedda in Payachi. She'll also return to us next season as Marguerite in Faust. She's closely associated with Houston Grand Opera, where her latest role was actually Nedda, when Lyric's production was seen there earlier this season. She has achieved great successes in a very wide repertoire that extends from the heroines of Mozart, Verdi, Gounod, and Puccini to Poulenc's Dialogues of the Carmelites, and in Houston, the world premiere of Daniel Catan's Salsi Puedes. She's starred in virtually every uh, major American and European house, from Covent Garden, the Opera Nationale de Paris, Berlin, Florence, and the Salzburg Festival, to the Met, San Francisco, and Washington National Opera. A major career milestone is coming up for her this summer, her debut at Glyndebourne, where she will star in the title role of the company's first production at Vorjak's Rusalka. The American baritone Mark Delavan, who is singing both Alfio in Cavalleria and Tonio in Pagliacci, is a favorite artist at Lyric. There are precious few singers out there, I think, who can make such a remarkable impact in repertoire as varied as what Mark has sung with us. That is Parsifal, the world premiere of William Bolcom's A Wedding, Iphigenie en Tauride, Il Trovatore, and most recently La Traviata, with which he opened the 2007-8 season. Most re- uh, this season, at, uh, as Tomsky in The Queen of Spades, he returned to the Met, where he has been heard in many of the Verdi roles that have become his signature internationally. He is also the Votan of the current ring cycle at San Francisco Opera, which he will continue this summer in Die Valkyrie. Besides appearances at literally every major American opera company, he's also starred at Covent Garden, the major houses of Munich and Berlin, Japan's Saito Kinan Festival, the BBC Proms, and Spoleto USA. So please join me in welcoming Anna Maria Martinez, Guang Yang, and Mark Delvin. I wanted to ask the three of you, may, Anna Maria, maybe you can start us off on this. When the word verismo comes to your mind, what do you think of? What associations do you make with that word? Uh, something that's very real and tangible and that we can all immediately relate to. Uh, musically speaking, uh, I think the first thing I think of is loud. <laughs> <laughs> And I shouldn't. (laughs) Uh, But something that's going to be, like I said, something very, very accessible and sometimes visceral, uh, that that it's immediately accessible to to the audience on many levels. Mark? Um, The word itself kind of means... Truism, and um, it, it's the, the classic description of it is in, in Tonio's prologue, um, where he talks about squarcio di vita, which means the slice of life, and um, it, it, it's it's different characters, it's different, uh, it's not a count and a countess, it's not a king and a queen, it's not the king of the gods, it's none of that, it's people, it's a little bit their poverty, um, adultery. Uh, murder, the, you know, everyday things that happen every day. 
And I have to tease my colleague here. It's got to be, it's also, it goes down actually to the style of laughter. Um, in, in, if you were to say, you know, have Susanna laugh, and it would be, ha, 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 No, my dear colleague has a great laugh. Oh, it's in this fantastic. Yeah. It sounds like she's been smoking a pack of cigarettes for at least 30 years. It's, it's fabulous. <laughs> Kwang, when you think of Arisma, what comes to your mind? Oh, well, this word, for me, I relate it to some colors. It's not unperfect blending uh, colors. It's about some rough and uh, very obvious colors, and in it, some raw colors. And also, I feel like, uh, in terms of the feeling, it's making your heart pumping fast and your blood running fast. And that's my feeling about it, the word. Yeah, I felt through that whole dress rehearsal today. I was, the tension was amazing. Um, it seems to me that these operas are going to be popular forever, not just because of the music, but because they will always have something to say to human beings in every corner of the world. Mark, you were touching on this a little bit. Um, so forgetting about the music for a moment, in terms of these dramas, can you talk in some, a little more detail, all of you, about the, the relevance of Cavalleria and Pagliacci, whether that still exists today? It's splashed all over the headlines. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, I was, was on AOL just the other day, and there was something about a, some sort of a love triangle. Your basic love triangle is, is the stuff of everyday life. And that's what we've got in both of these operas, isn't it? Um, Guang Santuzza was first sung by a soprano, interestingly enough. And she, it's amazing. It's probably the only time you'll ever sing a role that was also sung by a famous Violetta. And she, which she was. So, and for so many years, it was just sopranos singing the role, but now mezzos are doing it about as often, I think, as sopranos do. So, do you think sopranos should have sung it in the first place, or do you think it fits mezzos better? Well, I feel like there's, um, of course, um, sopranos has a different, lots of a different type of voice also. Uh, this role, I mean, I don't... Uh, Object to like to hear soprano sing, but it depends. Like maybe uh, a dramatic type of voice, soprano, or getting uh, mature more to could be handle or singing this this role uh, compared just a normal lyric or even spindle voice. Don't you think it's don't you think Santuzza is more the personality of a mezzo though? Just yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say bring out most of the time because we did wider voice catalog also by the character too I think um, you know why Carmen being sung by mezzo it's not a soprano I mean it's got this personality because and uh, uh, so do Santuzza has this earthy and also very uh, direct um, the, this this like I said, I related the color, this raw mm. part of our personality. Mm. So and uh, we portray as an opera singer by our singing, uh, portray the character. So that's uh, that's also, um, I mean, for me, of course, as mezzo, as a mezzo, I prefer to sing. Yeah. <laughs> You're on stage for a half hour with some really difficult music to sing and the sequence going the character has to go from the Easter hymn which is with chorus and very grand to the aria, to the duet with a tenor and the duet with a baritone, so it's all large scale it's all really dramatic, so what is your secret for getting through it without letting these emotions that you've been talking about, getting without letting them get in the way of, of your singing? Well boy, that's why I'm like really 
appreciate to have a three weeks rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, because I test out and most start from the first day of the rehearsal. I have to know. Well, first of all, you do need a very solid, strong technique. Singing technique to do this kind of roles. I mean, there's no way you can cheat a little bit, or you know, mm. <laughs> yeah. because and and uh, uh, so uh, I mean, during the rehearsal, I really uh, practice not just uh, most of the time. It's about to see the emotion, how far it could take, and to getting used to that. Yeah, singers talk to me a lot about in rehearsal getting to a particular point emotionally. And then you know, as far as you can go, sort of,、right. and then pulling back、yeah. from that—is that sort of standard procedure? Do you, do you find that in rehearsal? I find I, I actually go very slowly, just kind of in crescendo to kind of see.、Um, and for me, it actually will climax more towards the opening of of,、uh, mm-hmm. of a show. That, that's right.、Mm. Yeah, I have the same feeling too. Yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I want to make all of my. I, I, I don't. I, I'm like a. I'm a walking explosion. I'll just just try to do it all as fast as I can and find out how far. Well, okay, that was too far. <laughs> Back that up a little six inches there. Okay, before we explode all over the wall. Yeah, that's、uh, Mark.、Um, let's talk about the sound for Alfio Antonio. I mean, well, first of all, before that, did you need to be persuaded to do these two roles in the same evening, or was this something that you? Oh, oh yeah, they just had to coax me.、Yeah. <laughs> Had no, you before I, lyric? Had you ever done the two together? No, I, I had not. I'd, <clears throat> I'd done the I'd done the prologue for a long, long time. I'd, I'd、uh, covered David Malice five hundred years ago, in、uh, as Silvio, and I had、um, I did、um, I did Alfio at the Met, and I've never done them together. And actually, this is my first Tonio, but don't tell anybody. Oh, whoops! I just said it over the pod. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I would have paid them to do them both.、Uh, does Don't your, tell anybody. <laughs> does your sound differ at all from one to the other? Do they really take the same kind of voice? It, the same type of voice, yes. But you cannot make this. I, I my, I, I love the way that Guang talks about colors. You cannot use the same color to sing Alfio that you would to sing Tonio.、Uh, You know, we're playing Alfio as a mob boss.、Uh, you know, a, 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 a powerful at the beginning of Bon Vivant, and at the beginning he's realized he's been betrayed.、Uh, I, there's one one sound I try to make towards the end that's not pretty at all. I'm not going for pretty. I'm going. I want a specific message to the tenor to be、uh, transmitted, and、um, I'm fairly <laughs> successful、nice、at that. That's、it. a sweet way of putting it. And as Tonio, I mean, he's. Uh, we've talked about it many times about him being is Tony an idiot? And I, I just I can't believe from the language that he uses. I just can't buy it. You know, they think he's an idiot, but I, I just I can't play him that way. I well, just I can't I can't buy it. Do you alter your sound at all in the comedia when you're playing this sort of very、Absolutely. foolish character?、Uh, Absolutely. How do you? I'm going. I, I, I'm considering myself at that point in time a basso buffo. I'm going for the laughs. Um, and I think it's more fun that way, and I think it's more fun for the audience. And it, and it, it's almost as though it, you want to make them forget what's coming. They read the synopsis; they know what's coming. You know, they, <laughs> this is not an unpopular opera, but so they know what's coming. But if you lull them, it makes the tragedy that much more poignant,、mm-hmm. and it makes the evening of a really full evening. If you're having a good time, and then 
your world comes crashing down. <laughs> it sure does. Oh my god! And that, oh my gosh, that final scene. Um, Anna Maria, there are several passages that you have in this role that, as lyric soprano roles go, are incredibly intense. Um, those moments, I mean, I'm thinking about the rest of the roles in your particular repertoire. I think, where else is, is that sound, that Nedda sound, that, that sound, especially in the bottom register, where, is, 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 where else is she going to be called upon to make that sound? And I, so it seems to be sort of unique for the roles that you sing. So when you're getting furious with Tonio and then later with Kanyo, did you have to find a, a, a sound that really... I don't know, that can, can communicate that kind of intensity without harming yourself? That's a really good question. I, th- I think that first I, I would spend time with just the story and, and what we're communicating here is, is just with the verismo. It's so real. Uh, so, and Guang said so, so intelligently about the colors. So if I'm mad at, at Tonio and just very upset, it's going to be like a rah kind of a sound. And you just have to make sure it's supported like anything else, that it's, it's your, your voice and your sounds always have to be connected within your body. It's, it's actually very physical what we do. Uh, and I would say that we use our bodies just as much as an athlete, as a dancer, except we use our muscles in a different way. But you cannot disconnect from that when you're doing this, which can be the temptation within the drama, within the story. But at the same time, it's so, what's so great about this repertoire is that you're not thinking about, oh, here comes a high note, or because the story takes you. The wish we have for all of you in the audience is to, once it starts, and then until it finishes, you are completely engaged. So that when it's over, you think, what, what, it's over? That's what we want for you. And we also experience that as well. Um, people don't associate Verismo with what I would call the niceties of bel canto, but there in this recitative, beautiful recitative before your aria, is there are wonderful opportunities for high pianissimo, mm-hmm. and you also have two important trills mm-hmm. to sing. So, do you, are there moments in, besides those in, in Nedda that you think really are pure bel canto? Well, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I always take my, my starting point with any role with a bel canto approach. I think that that's always going to be the healthiest. It's the one that speaks uh, most immediately to me. And I think it's, it's uh, going to keep me just on track, healthy, for, for a longer time. Not knock on wood for Micah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there are wonderful opportunities, as you said, to, to embrace that bel canto approach with Neta. Um, and I urge everyone who sings the role to, to definitely embrace them. Because like in the love duet, th- that there's not there are, there too, right? There, there are moments there, but definitely in that recit of, of the aria. And just to really show all of those different, again, colors that, that, uh, that the character has to display her vulnerability uh, with these pianissimi, because pianissimi are very vulnerable. Uh, and, and so you want to expose that part of her. Otherwise, she's just, you know how Mark was saying with my laugh at that moment, it's, it's very cackly. It's very, she's been drinking and smoking for years. With the vulnerability that she shows in the recit, there's no other moment that we see that in her. Or the, the, the day that we're meeting all of these characters. You know, you, you're meeting her in a day when she's confronting everybody, when she's not taking nonsense from, from anybody anymore. You know, and it costs her her life, but, but she does so very courageously. But we want to see also that softness in her. Now, in the same vein as what I just asked, um, the dress rehearsal today really did confirm for me this incredible musicality and sensitivity with, with which the three of you 
approach these roles. So how do you respond when you hear in this repertoire singers doing the kind of forcing and pushing uh, that... Um, that no other repertoire, it seems to me, seems to sort of lure them into. I mean, I hear more unfortunate singing in Verismo than I do in anything else. So is it possible, isn't it possible to sing Verismo operas, not just these, but the, the, this repertoire generally, with the same musicality that you would bring to Donizetti, say? It's, um, I, think, I think it's more than that. I think it's vital. I think it's vital to the art form. I think it's vital, first of all, I mean... Uh, I would have sat here, podcast and all, I would have sat here and had a pretty nice, very colorful disagreement with Anna Maria, but I, I'm, I'm not there anymore. I'm just not there anymore because I'm having to study some pretty difficult literature. And the people that I'm coaching with, and I'm coaching with a lot of people, um, are all saying the same thing. It doesn't matter. Start with, it's, it, it's almost a direct quote. Start with a bel canto and then see where it takes you and I'm, in, in a lot of ways, I'm, having to, I'm enjoying this process immensely by literally rethinking a lot of my, some of the roles that I've done uh, for a long time. For Scarpia, for instance, I used to scream and growl and, and yell and bang my fists. And I just don't think it's the same. You know, I'm a different man now, but I'm, I'm older now. <laughs> I hurt myself when I start banging everything. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, I hurt my wrist. Uh, uh, but... Um, I just don't think that's what Scarpia is. I think, I'm not to bring another character into the, the mix here, but Scarpia is one of your standard sort of Avrismo looks, but he's extremely elegant. He's extremely well-read. He's religious. In fact, he tells less lies in the whole piece than anybody else. But the point of the matter is, is you approach something from a bel canto standpoint and the beautiful lines and everything, there's, this, this piece is our piece, uh, Pagliacci is full of beautiful lines, and and, and is, too. is full yeah. of beautiful. I mean, I'm sitting backstage with our with our colleagues and and their uh, the our dressing staff, and they, <laughs> my dresser says, "I God, I love this music. I just love this music." And it is, it's phenomenal music. Otherwise, it would not have made it as this long. But if you start from a position of bel canto, you're going to get what you want, which is beautiful singing. And more colors. And more, co- more colors. More colors. We're going to jump all over that all night. All night. <laughs> We're going to use that. We're going to drain that one, aren't we? Um, we should talk uh, at some length, I think, about characterization, not just vocalism. So, Guang, what kind of person do you think Santuzza really is? And what is her situation at the point when we first see her? Well, from my um, understanding or my uh, um, definition about this character, I think Santuzza is not not just a simple peasant girl. She has, has, in her personality, I think she's a lonely girl. She is deep down, uh, she's like, uh, but she always tells the truth about her heart, uh, with her heart. And uh, but I don't think in the society, no matter what kind of period it is, people maybe not too much to appreciate that. So, um, in her situation, which is the love or or the feeling about Turitu, um, uh, she, I think uh, she loves him more than he into her, and. Uh, 
And uh, but she just cannot realize that. But because she fully believe her feeling herself, so that's why she has she cannot take the reality, which is a、uh, you know a broken up with him. What do you think it was? I mean, we don't spend quite as much time with him as we do with you, so we don't know him quite as well. I think so. What do you think? Attracted her to him in the first place, just because she was lonely and she was reaching out to somebody. I think, I think that's the only reason, every more very organic reason、mm-hmm. <laughs> for for her at her age.、Um, uh, that's the only thing. Do you envision them in that short period when they were lovers? Do you envision them having any real happiness at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, she wouldn't give herself whole to him. Mm-hmm. I think that, and、uh, she she thought this is the man, and uh, and uh, it must make because also because she's a lonely or you know a closed person, and、uh, so with this love, I think must be wonderful something make her totally open herself to to some、uh, someone. I frequently wonder what happens to operatic characters when the curtain after the curtain comes down. So, what do you think happens to Santuzza when the curtain? Comes you know,、down? I have different several endings for her. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are they? But actually, the recent、uh, ending for her, from in my mind, because I just realized about the very last high C, she sound with the chorus. I mean, there is a on the score, in the score. She has very last note of the high C, and that I just feel that's her end of her life. Yeah, I mean, no matter what, because again, as a mezzo, you're not singing a high C every day. <laughs> <laughs> so after that note, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mark, there seems to be a real sort of code of honor that governs Alfio's whole life in Cavalleria. Can you explain what governs his whole response when Santuzza makes her accusation of Torito to him, and and the way he handles the confrontation with Torito that comes immediately after that? Well, it's a, it's a, you know, I have Scottish blood, so this is not that difficult to understand.、Um, you, you know, if you take it in context,、um, the、uh, the right of the cuckolded husband was to actually not only to kill the male lover, but was to cut the nose off of the female. We don't play that up. In fact, I tried to do something, but I thought that that was a little gruesome. You know, paint some little picture.、Um, But what ends up happening, the, the the thing that we don't understand, we have our own kind of code of honor today. But this was a code of honor that you know the, the title Cavalleria Rusticana means rustic chivalry, it, which you could make the argument that is a contradiction in terms. But the the point here is that Alfio has only a couple of options, and forgiveness is not one of them.、Um, And the way we're playing him in this particular production is is that he's a he's the local mafioso, and、uh, and so so it makes it very interesting to play it that way because we start from a, he starts from a position that this is not possible that Lola would never do such a stupid thing as to cheat on me.
you know. And which is, is a kind of an interesting approach. So the code of honor is, is just, just that. It's just something you do. It's just not an option to do anything different. You can't go home and say, well, honey, I, 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 think, I think we can work this out. I think, <clears throat> I think we should get some therapy. I think, I think we should get men, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, and we should read that through together after dinner. Did I get that wrong? No, no, I got that right. That's not done. It was just the way that it was done. And, and the code of, it, it, for him to do anything else was to lose face in the society. It was, it was just not an option. Yeah, he's, he's totally bound by that. Tonio in Pagliacci is a little more complicated. So what is his situation in the Commedia troupe, um, his relationships with his colleagues? I'm especially actually interested in his relationship with Nedda because is this really genuine, this love that he seems to be expressing for her, or is he, does he just sort of feel lustful when she's around? You know, I think, I think it's a little bit of both for him. Uh, he's, a, he's a strange guy. Um, but as I said before, I, I don't, I can't buy him as Tony Loshema, the Tony the idiot, because everything he says is well thought out, even poetic. And I think, I think in, in, in his close, yes, I think there's a physical attraction for him, but I think, I think it's genuine love because, uh, 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 Ana Maria says it so well in, in, in the rest of the team. She says he's so brutal. She talks about Kanye being brutal and, I think Tonio sees that, and I think Tonio's seen it many times, and I think part of him says, "I can, I would be nice to her, I would, I would be kind to her, I would do the dishes." Uh, you know, I, I'm being silly, but you get the point. I think he genuinely cares about her, and I think he feels genuinely protective. And when he's rejected, I think that's when he loses his uh, loses his ability to play the balance between really being in love with somebody or losing the ability to judge whether it's love or lust. Now, the last line of the opera is, of course, La Commedia e Finita, the comedy, is ended, and that was assigned by the composer to the baritone. But Caruso appropriated it, and since then there's always been this decision that has to be made by the conductor and the director as to who's going to get it. So without giving it away to You the just audience, gave it away! <laughs> With, I'm not going to tell any, anybody who does it in our production, but... <laughs> so why, Ladies and gentlemen, point, Mr. Roger Pines, would you give him a round of applause? <laughs> why, do you, why do you think Leon Cavallo gave it to the baritone in the first place? Because it is the right thing to do. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the, the easy answer here is because it was begun by the baritone singing the prologue and explaining, you know, these tears are false, don't alarm yourselves, we're just acting. And for him to walk out and say, okay, you can go home now, you know, it's over now, I think it's appropriate. Um, but I'm- we're not giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> Anna Maria, how did... Ned, uh, meet Kanyo, do you think, in the first place? And why did she decide to marry him? Well, I think that she was probably a young child uh, of gypsy background, uh, probably orphaned and wandering the streets. He, maybe on tour, saw her, took pity, took her on as, as just 
you know, a little girl. Let, let me protect her. I can take care of her. And then she started to blossom into a young woman. And I think that probably other guys started to look at her a certain way, and he felt very possessive. And I think that this group, this whole troop, they're all very primitive people. They're not psychologically minded, let's say. Mm-hmm. They're not uh, deep thinkers. They're very uh, uh, impulsive and sometimes compulsive. And so she starts to become this young woman, and he's like, well, she's mine. I, I want her. And she doesn't know anything. She doesn't have role models. She's the only woman in the group. And so she said, well, he saved my life. Okay, I guess this is what you're supposed to do. He was daddy, and now he's, you know, so it's very, very, very twisted, I think. Um, she goes along. She just lives this way. She's probably the one cooking and cleaning, you know, for the whole group and kind of the, the wife in a way to, to everybody, except just having, let's say, relations with Kanyo. I don't know that they're actually married. He, I've always wondered. He refers to her as his wife, but I think that's the possessive part. Uh-huh. That's just my take on it. Do you think they were ever genuinely happy at any point? I think that he, because he saved her, I think he truly loved her in a protective sort of way and then started to get this lustful feeling and I think that she was very grateful I think she didn't know anything else Um, and I think she's a survivor so she doesn't take time again I don't think they're deep thinkers she doesn't take time to ask herself if she's happy she's just kind of going along she's happy to have food on her plate but now she is a young woman and she's starting to have her own thoughts and her own feelings her own desires and she meets Silvio and he awakens something in her and I think that what's been happening is that she's beginning to reject Kanyo for a while, and he's starting to lose his patience. He's drinking more. He's not wanting to tolerate this. He feels that she's his property. And um, she's saying no, which is ahead of her times. And again, she doesn't have another woman around to say, this is what you can stand up for, and especially not in this part of the world and not in this time. So we, we see a tremendous young woman in Neta. So she, in that love duet... With, with Silvio, she, she is sort of conflicted. I mean, he's practically, you know, a minute into the love door, he's asking her to, to run away with him. And she says, don't tempt me. Over and over she says that. So, wh- number one, why is she conflicted? And number two, what does he do to change her mind? I think that she does like him, and they've had a little fun in the hay a couple of times, and this feels different and new and nice, probably. And he's probably very gentle and, and sweet with her. Um, But if we backtrack to her aria, she wants to be free. She wants to be like the birds in the sky. And that's her ultimate dream. And she just wants out of this. And one of the things she also says is, uh, you know, don't tempt me. Do you want me to lose my life or do you want to lose my life? And I think she understands that if she goes with him, Kanyo's going to find them. And he's like the code of honor that we were talking about. And he's going to kill Silvio and he's going to kill her too. So don't tempt me. I don't want to go there. I like my life a bit more than a nice romp in the hay, let's say. I think that's what she's thinking about. But also... She ultimately decides to go because she probably looks at him and says, you are a nice guy, and okay, I can live with you for a while. Ah. I think her idea is, I'll go with you for a while till I'm far enough, and we've had our fun, and then I'm going to move on, because ultimately I just want to be free. I think that's her okay. gestalt. <laughs> See what you think of this question, which has probably not been asked of you before, related to these operas. Um, we associate every opera just about with a hero or heroine sometimes both but is there 
a person who fills that function in either one of these operas, and most very small operas, my colleague was saying to me the other day, most very small operas, there isn't somebody that you would want dating your son or daughter. <laughs> so what about in these two? I'd like to just say quickly, when I think of a hero or a heroine, especially in opera, we think of someone who never takes pity on themselves. It's not just going in to save the day. And if we take that approach, I think there are several here. And I think Nitta, in a way, she is a heroine in her own life. Yes, her choices cost her her life, but she would not have it any other way. And at the end, she knows. She knows that there's no way out. But she's saying, no, even if it costs me my life, I am not going to give you his name. Referring to Silvio. And that's it. That takes tremendous courage. I'm sure she's terrified. And that last high B natural, um, the conductor that we're talking about, he says, I want it to be a scream of terror. And you know at that confrontation, that's it for you. And what is she saying at that point? She's saying like, ah, and then no, you know, in, in name of my mother. Uh, you can call me anything you want, but I am not vile. And, and no matter what, what, what the cost is, the price, even if it's my life, I am not going to give you his name. This is it. I, basically, I've had it. This is enough. And I, I think it's tremendous, tremendous courage. Um, Mark, is there a hero or a heroine for you? No. <laughs> Sorry. That was cool, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me either. No, but I, I mean, you know, in, in terms of in, in terms of believing in your own character, sure, you've got to believe in the hero, heroism of your own character. Yes. Um, you know, you give me ten minutes, and I'll, you know, I'll I'll support anybody. But um, I, I've done some vile characters, and um, you know, I've I've got to be able to defend them. I've got to find something inside them that I can that I like, and. Um, but in terms of, of, of true heroism, I think that's one of, the, one of the greatness, one of the greatest parts about Verismo is we don't have one guy that, you know, Roger Ramjet, he comes home and, hello, honey, I'm home. None of that stuff. You know, this is, this is pure, raw life. This is how it is. Um, Guang, when I heard your first Santuzza, it was at the Deutsche Oper Berlin, and the production, shall we say, was unusual. Unusual. <laughs> So, can you describe it? I mean, whenever I tell people what it was like, they don't believe me. So. <laughs> well, actually, um, there's more actually than uh, productions unusual than that one. Uh, that one, I take it as it's close to the normal side. <laughs> oh, come on, tell everything. I've got to hear this one. <laughs> well, uh, well, actually, uh, the you saw that production, isn't it? It's just um, made like uh, in last century, like 50s, around that time. So, uh, you know, we don't have particular, the, the, you know, just like a 50s style, the dress, the costume. And uh, it's a little bit more, I feel like, a little bit more somehow take this uh, uh, weight or, or um, the frustration from, from, from the original, you know, period or... or uh, um, Impurate production. I just remember thinking that it took place under a highway. There, which I thought it was, was yeah, a the little last, bizarre. <laughs> the last thing was they dropped this, they made this body, and which is sort of like a uh, uh, do and dropped from the highway. And that's All the, the way, <laughs> yeah, into this ravine. It was 
<laughs> yeah, and I feel even this is the tourism uh, opera. I just feel it's it needs a uh, play the rough or or the harsh part in beauty way. In a, it needs to be done in, in a beauty way. way. Yeah, you, well, I mean that's my idea as a classical singer. Yeah, <laughs> now, so your productions, your previous productions, Mark and Anna Maria of, of Payachi Calaria. Um, first of all, Anna Maria, where was your first one? In Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. Then was that a bizarre happened. production? No. I mean, there were some... Well... <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something. <laughs> there were some things that were... Yeah. The, the director wanted the Pagliacci uh, to have a, an extra in the Commedia, who was a, a clown, but who would appear naked as, as in within a closet, who was supposed to be one of my lovers. Oh, no. It was very strange. <laughs> I had to be There's very, that. very, very, very bimbo-y. And I remember just, I would turn beet red for the longest time, and I thought, oh, Lord, I'll get it, I'll get it. I would tell him, don't worry, don't worry. I just have to wrap my brain around this because of the things I had to do that were just, yeah. But um, it's all right. But I, I did want to say, I think it's, it's interesting that, that in the Deutsche Oper, they did a, a production that would have Turido's body vi- visible on stage because one of the greatest things about putting these two operas together is that in Cavalleria, all of the drama happens off stage. You never see it. And in Pagliacci, everything's in your face, which I think is a wonderful combination. Mm. So by doing that, it's like, I don't know. I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so much more powerful when all you hear is that woman's voice off stage yeah. screaming that they yes. killed Teresa. Yeah, Because your imagination can tell you so much more. Um, I've seen productions of Cavalier where they have dragged him on. They've yeah. dragged the body of Teresa onto the stage at the end, which I think, oh, you know, let's just imagine what he's like. We don't need to see him. So, Mark, where was your first... Cavalleria and your first. It was Pagliacci. at the Met. The, my first, uh, my first Pagliacci will be uh, Saturday night. Ah, okay, right. <laughs> and thanks for letting that little piece of information out, Roger. <laughs> um, now our Pagliacci is updated to the nineteen, well, post-war, post-war Italy. How do you respond, Anna Maria and Mark, to that? I mean, does it make sense to you that it can be moved to whatever period? It works just fine. It's, it was a, it was a very interesting. It, there's some interesting posters on the stage, and it's it was an interesting period, and it's still it, it it still kind of embraces the poverty and and this troop of players that comes on in a 1948. I don't know. I I I think it was about a 1948 Ford pickup, which I think is really cool. <laughs> I get to work on it on stage. I get to change the spark plugs. But, no, I, I think it, it does. It definitely, works. definitely works. There's some very cool things as far as uh, you know, circus performers and all of that, which I really love. Can, yeah, can you describe what goes on? Oh, where do we start? They're God, incredible. They're just incredible. This has been a party, I'm telling you. <laughs> they came in, and first of all, we were, we were talking. We were, we were having this conversation and we were watching them, and they were juggling, and I think they were talking about their taxes or something. You know, and they're saying, you know, I don't know. I don't like my accountant too much. He seemed to do, you know, and they're passing back and forth, and they're doing this bit, and, and Anna Marie and I are looking at him going, what, yeah. what is this? And they probably, and we think, well, they probably look at us the same way. And one of the guys, is a, he calls himself a bona fide opera freak. He loves opera, Douglas. and he speaks Italian. And he's the guy that, Douglas. I'll tell you who it is, it's Douglas. He's the one that comes walks in on the ball. So when 
you see him, Douglas yeah. is just a great He's guy. Incredible. And 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 in that we we watch them and just in awe. And, and I have a whole bit where I have a whole bit when the when the comedia begins because there's one guy who's a stilt walker walks by me like this and I swat him on the behind and then and then the unis the the what the unicycle? unicycle unicycle comes by and he says scusi and he comes by <laughs> in Italian he comes by it's just hilarious and they have just been a blast and, yeah. and, and they're so talented the, the people who are juggling with fire they're the ones that just oh. they, they take my away. breath away yeah, yeah they're it's incredible really, it's really it's amazing um, now these operas can really take it out of performers physically so I'm really curious as to whatever tricks you have to keep yourself from injury. Um, for, for instance, Guang, doesn't Taridu push you pretty hard at the climax of your duet? Oh, well, uh, we pretend it looks very, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. I mean, it, it also depends. Uh, it comes to, it's not just uh, uh, one person do, doing like uh, what he does. Uh, it, in terms of action, we, we always, always has this action coach. Uh, like, yeah, the, the fight, the fight, fight director, coach, fight yeah, director, director yeah. Yeah, yeah, coming to the rehearsal and to even just uh, uh, the way he, how he holding my my arms and uh, because my, uh, in the first uh, rehearsal, I mean after uh, like a few rehearsals and uh, get the point to like we have the duet and uh, and to get to the high notes and there's a uh, one thing and uh, I want him to hold my hand uh, my arm like this and uh, well, of course when the emotion comes and uh, he's a man he's a strong man he's sweet colleague but uh, when the when the music takes there uh, we don't know what's going to happen i we got a bruise i had a got a bruise several times ago i mean uh, in other places and so that's why we need the, uh, this uh, fighting coach and to, director to, to do that. And the way is he, he told him not to grab with your hands open like that, but with your thumb like this. And so in that way, it will look like you still, but you cannot really hurt mm. your colleague. That's so the there's certain technique involved. Right, <laughs> right. Know, so. Well, you're sort of lucky in this production and that because usually Santuzza is like pushed down the stairs and has to roll down the stairs and then yeah, you know, yeah. in the beginning and the actually, yeah. high actually yes. in the beginning they thought they are going to uh, like give uh, like a uh, slap on her and uh, but we both uh, uh, Cardo and I just feel like uh, we don't like that yeah, too much <laughs> so, um, now Mark doesn't uh, Tonio generally get beaten with a whip by Nedda, is that what it says in the score? I'm trying I to remember. I believe it. I believe the word frusta is indeed used. Right. But there's no whip in this production, so... It's a virtual whip. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what, does, what, what does she beat you with? My own cane. Oh, that's really cruel. Yeah, Good. she's a nice lady. Um, the, her- the heroine of the piece. <laughs> Mark, I never said heroine of the piece, but we could see that she could be a heroine of her own life. Um, yes. Now, Anna Maria, opposite you in this production is Vladimir Galuzin, who really gets into the role of Kanyo. So and in the two big scenes between you, he gets pretty rough with, with Ned. Does. So what are those scenes like between you, and how do you... Stay safe mm-hmm. and still sing. Well, it's the same thing that Wang was saying that we have a, a fight coach 
who uh, will just make sure that a lot of the things that look like you're being pushed and shoved and hit, uh, Vladimir just gently puts his hand on, on my neck and the back of my head and will gesture when he's ready to like, so it, that it look. in other words, he just suggests where he's throwing me so that I know to go in that direction, but I'm the one controlling the fall and all of that. And then the one that took a lot of work was my scene with Mark. Uh, so it's, it's the Tonio Neda fight that needed a lot of choreography and just to make sure that you're in point A, point B, point C at, at certain parts. And um, so that's a lot of fun. But I, I, uh, I think it's important. She just likes smacking me around. No. <laughs> it, it, it needs to be real. No, it's got to be. You know, it, it's yeah, got to be scary. It's gotta, you've got to see the extent to which these people, uh, how they can treat each other and why, for example, Nidda's had enough. If it's not that brutal, then you don't get why she wants out. Um, I have some questions from the audience. Um, the first being, very important question, other than their short length, what is the reason these two operas are performed together? We don't really stop and think about that very often, but we probably should. Subject matter. It's the same, it, it's basically, if you think about it, it's the same story. You know, same stories, the ca- characters are revolved just as slightly and so-and-so is being cuckolded and instead of, this, the, the, instead of it ending this way, it ends this way. But it's the same storyline. Yes. The three triangle love thing. Same love triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anybody else? Um, Guang, this is for you. Why do you think Santuza has been excommunicated? Do you think she is pregnant? Uh, yeah, in this, particularly in this production, we made, um, you know, uh, just a uh, designed she's like pregnant because i said like we, it, it's that's the only way at that time we think about that's the that's the only reason that that would happen yeah, the to reason her. Yeah, yeah okay before you get married and you get pregnant and that's and, cannot and it's a very accepted i mean getting excommunicated is the worst thing i suppose that could happen to her isn't it that's right that's yeah. that's i think why i made the ending like you know he has no that's it he has nowhere to go he has no no the future has no future. Mm. Yeah. Um, Mark, your prologue in this production is untitled. Um, that is, as far as surtitles, I should say, we're not using them because you're in front of the curtain. So do you feel a different intensity from the audience or a different demand on your singing style because there are no translations to read for the audience? <laughs> well, quite frankly, uh, I only found that out an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody, that was a little piece of information that they conveniently left out. Uh, but, you know, oddly enough, no. Um, I'm going to play it the way I play it. I'm going to tell the story. Um, my wife, my wife and my friends, we went out to a local restaurant and had, had a bite to eat after the dress rehearsal, and they said, oh, it's untitled. I said, really? Isn't that interesting? No more pressure. No, no, no pressure on you. Don't worry about it. Um, no, it's fine. Um, it's it's funny because it's it, it's such a beautiful piece, um, and and the way it's written. And, and and there's one particular place I try to play in a very personal way. There's this one place where he says, "Unido di memorie in fondo all'anima cantava un giorno." As you probably all know, uh, Pagliacci is based on a real life event. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's either one of two things. It's either that Leon Covallo actually was at the trial that this happened. His father was the judge. His father was the judge. That's it? 
Oh, see, now I can clear that up. Um, so this is a real-life story that actually happened. The way I'm trying to play it at that particular moment is that Tonio is actually Leon Cavallo. And I'm playing it as though I actually saw it. Like this nest of the, these, these memories happen in one day. And that the composer beats time with his own sobs. Which is, I mean, it's a, it, if we if take Pagliacci just by itself, it's a very sad story. That's my, and, and for that, for me, that ends up being a communication point. It's, it's, it's telling the audience, okay, look, don't lose yourself over this. This is just a story, so relax. Um, I don't. I, I don't feel any more pressure now. Um, there was a moment at dinner that I felt a little bit of pressure. Yeah. But... Well, let me ask, continuing with the subject of titles, let me ask um, all of you, you've probably all sung, clearly you've all sung in performances that have been titled, and probably all of you have sung in all sorts of performances that have not had, t- had titles, especially in Europe. So have you really experienced a difference in the ambience of a, of a performance depending on whether the titles are there or not? I think that the, when you realize that people are not laughing at what you said at that moment in a recit, let's say in Italian, but rather when it came up, so they might laugh a little bit early, and I'm thinking, I didn't say the punchline yet. Oh, they read the titles. <laughs> so then I think, did they see the facial expressions? Did they, were they able to appreciate this or that? Now, with all that said, I think it is great to have the, the translations because then everyone knows word for word what's going on, and they can follow the story a lot better. And I think it ultimately will attract a, a greater audience to, to attend because they won't feel left out or disconnected from what's going on. Uh, and by that I mean if, if they're not fluent in the language they might, might feel a bit of disconnection unless they know the, the rep very well um, that's the only time when it kind of may, might jar you a little bit but and it must affect you particularly in your Mozart roles when they're that's titled what I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah or Donizetti yeah, or something yeah. like that yeah. where the timing of the, of the titles and the recit can be so tricky mm-hmm. have, Mark and Guang have you had experiences where there was a particular response in the audience that you knew came very much from what they were reading. Falstaff. Uh, oh, I can imagine. Falstaff. Yeah. The joke came early, and I, you know, I, I almost was going to wait. Don't laugh yet. That's not the joke. It's coming up. You know, I wanted to do that. It was. Just, it's the same sort of thing. Um, this question says: Religion plays an important role in both of these works, and in Cav, especially, the view of religion would seem to be quite cynical. Do you think these composers were trying to make a statement about religion with these works? It's sure. not something I've really thought of before. Sure. That's a great question. Oh, that's a really good. scary question. I don't know if <laughs> I want to answer it. <laughs> sure. Uh, there, there's no way it couldn't be. Um, it, it, it was one of the marks of the time. The, and, and, and I think, especially in, in Cavalleria Rusticana, you have what seems to be this double standard. You know, poor Santuzza. Why is Santuzza the one that's excommunicated? I want to ask that question. But it makes, it makes the tragedy that follows that much more poignant, that she's the one excommunicated. And like Wong said, that's it. That's the end of her life. That's, that's all there is. And I, and I think it makes a very poignant statement about hypocrisy. Not about religion so much, about just how easy it is to be hypocritical in one's religion. I, I fight it all the time. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I go to church. Does that make me perfect? <laughs> you, you watch me here. Am I perfect? <laughs> Surprised I haven't sworn in the thing, haven't said a profanity yet. I'm shocked. So the, the, the point is, 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 is and, I, and I think what Mascagni does more so, I think, than Leon Covallo, is it, it becomes internalized. It becomes, he says, we're all like this. You know, it's like Tonio says, we all breathe the same air. Right. Anybody else on that question? Well, I, I would well, agree with Mark. That I'm sorry. I love that. I mean, I would just I would totally agree with Mark. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. Yeah. yeah, and I think that it's especially for that time, uh, these composers, librettists, you know, coming forward and saying, "Pay attention, people." You know, it's very easy for us all on mass to to criticize and judge, but we have to look at ourselves first. And the same way that Santuta is getting excommunicated, that could be any one of us. And how does that feel? It doesn't feel very nice. And I think he presents it so that you feel for Santuzza. So I don't think at that time it, it was um, highlighted to have empathy for the person who was being excommunicated. And I think that that might have been one of the goals. Um, a question that's just occurred to me. Um, I sh- we, we've just about run out of time, so we'll need to make this the last one. Um, have you ever heard anything else by these composers? These are sort of what... They wrote all sorts of other operas, but they are essentially one-trick composers. We know them for these operas above all. So have you heard any of the other Mascani and Leon Cavallo? And if you have, do you think that those pieces deserve popularity as well? I've heard, um, I've heard an aria called Zaza Piccolo Zingara, which is from uh, the uh, opera called Zaza um, by Leon Cavallo. Um, and... With due respect to Leon Cavallo, no. <laughs> and I've heard, I've heard, um, I've heard p- bits and pieces of Leon Cavallo's La Boheme, um, which is not near as good as is not near as good as Puccini's La Boheme, in my opinion. But okay. it's my opinion. But that is an opera that it all is, three right? of you could be in together. Because, there you go. Because Anna Marie yes. would be me, me, and Guang would be Musetta, who is a mezzo, and and Rodolfo, Mark would, baby. would be Mark would be Rodolfo. Yeah. On that note, I would like to thank our panel very, very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.